0: Test one, two. All right. Well, if you're planning on making it to Sunday school, uh, try to make your way in, in here so we can get started. We are going to get started, whether you make it in here or not, but we're ready to go. Okay, let's pray, guys. We'll get started, okay? Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you now, and we thank you so much that we have the, the grace and the mercy of a sympathetic high priest. Lord, well, thank you that you are here to help us with our troubles and our trials, our tribulations, that there is nothing that uh, escapes your notice and there is nothing that is too hard for our sovereign God and so Lord we just pray that you would encourage us be the lifter of our head now and uh, cause us to set our gaze on Jesus cause us to set our gaze on his beauty as uh, Isaiah says Lord that we may gaze upon the King in his beauty and uh, Father we just pray that you would enlighten our minds as we search your your scripture pray that we would uh, be encouraged as we get in the Word, Lord. That the Word would have that purifying effect upon our souls, Lord. That we would be enriched. That we would grow. Um, we need you, Father, to help us to grow, because in and of ourselves, Lord, we are, uh, Lord, we are uh, insufficient for these things, as Paul says. So, Lord, help us. Be with us now and strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So. We're back to um, our study from last week, because if you remember last week, I got through about two slides, (laughs) and uh, it's just because I love you and I love fellowshipping with you. When I get in these classes, I just, you know, I just uh, really feel at home, so even though I see a lot of new faces in here, I still feel at home. Uh, But um, we're looking at something really important in these last doctrines as we approach um, uh, you know, a different aspect of systematic theology. That's what we're going through. Uh, We're going through systematic theology. And I just want to remind us, may I just refresh us um, about what theology is all about, okay? And what we can call, no, we can't call it anything, apparently. (laughs) Because I have a marker that doesn't work. I think this one works. Let me try this right here. Okay, that's better. Remember, there is an encyclopedia of theology, okay, of sorts. And historically, um, theologians have looked at this encyclopedia of theology and said, this is the way that we do the theology. I mean, this is the way that we study the Bible. That is to say, there are different disciplines of theology. I mean, we are studying systematic right? Theology. Let's just put a big T there. Systematic theology. What are the other aspects of theology that one can do? What are the other disciplines? Physical, biblical theology. Biblical theology. Okay. Now, some folks, um, some folks may think biblical theology. Well, shouldn't your theology be biblical? I <laughs> mean, what other kind of theology is there, right? Well, of course, biblical theology is actually the technical term for a kind of discipline, kind of like systematic theology, right? Uh, Biblical theology is concerned more than anything with how does the Bible unfold as a story? How does the story of the Bible progress? How is it connected? How does it all hang together? That's really what biblical theology is seeking to find out, is how does the story of scripture unfold? What are the central uh, ideas and the central themes of the Bible? Uh, Some of the central themes of the Bible would be covenant, kingdom, uh, salvation, judgment. These are central ideas in Scripture. What what is another one? Somebody mentioned it already. Historical. Historical, that's right. Historical theology is another school of theology which basically seeks to study theology from a historical perspective. So you're asking... How did a doctrine, let's say uh, the doctrine of Christology or the doctrine of justification or the doctrine of salvation or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, how did that subject, how did that develop over history, over the, 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 the history of the church? So like for the last 2,000 years, how has the doctrine of Christ developed over history? And so that's called historical theology. Um, there is one other aspect and do you, if you get this, I'll be really proud of you. Do you know what it is? Theology proper. Theology proper. Well, theology proper is actually a subset of systematic theology. Theology proper means what? Study of God. Uh, the study of God. So the study of God is a subset of systematic theology. One, do you say reform? Reform Well, reform theology is actually um, not under this category. It would be basically under historical theology because that's a certain slant or certain damp. So what theologians identify as probably the most important type of theology is what's known as exegetical. Exegetical. All these words, right, guys? Right. Uh, don't be ashamed if you don't know some of these words. Look, I still study with a dictionary next to me, okay? Because <laughs> there's still a lot of terms I'm still trying to familiarize myself with. So exegetical theology is different from the rest in that what exegetical theology is seeking to uncover is what is the exegetical value of a passage? What is the exegetical value of a text, of a word, of a phrase? So this is much more precise theology. Um, I kind of did this backwards. I should have began with exegetical theology because really we can say this. We can say something like this here exegetical theology informs all the other theological disciplines right that's really the way that it should work so this is kind of a classic uh breakdown of the encyclopedia of theology okay that's what we're looking at so we are studying systematic theology and systematic is is important because When you do systematic theology, what you're asking is, what does the whole Bible have to say about one given topic, one doctrine, one uh, idea in scripture? So like, what does the whole Bible teach about um, the doctrine of perseverance, like what we're looking at today? Uh, Perseverance, death, and glorification. That's where we are. If you remember, we've been going through the order of salvation, The Ordo Salutis, uh, the Latin phrase for order of salvation. Let me just write this up here here, for us here. Ordo Salutis. And uh, this is the Latin way that theologians talk about the arrangement of the doctrine of salvation. Now, I have to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, you know, as a young Christian and many years in my Christian walk, I didn't even know there was an order to salvation. I was like the uh, disciples in Acts 19. We have not even heard if there is an order of salvation. It was really a revelation to me that there's an actual logical progression to the way that salvation unfolds. And this chart, this nifty little high-tech chart that I made for you (laughs) lays out the way the order of salvation works. So it goes all the way from Conceptual salvation, and conceptual salvation deals with the realm of God's decrees, the things that God in his mind has planned and purposed and ordained. So this is, you're talking about in eternity past, God had conceived of salvation. And this conceptual aspect of salvation has to do with foreknowledge, predestination, and election. Those are things that God had Uh, ordained or decreed before the foundation of the world. It has to do with God's sovereignty. And then we get to actual salvation, when the conceptual salvation begins to be realized in time and space. So conceptual salvation was fulfilled when you repented. When you came to faith in Christ, what God had ordained and conceived of and decreed, became a reality in time in space, a concrete reality. So it went out of the realm of the abstract, out of the realm of the ideas, and into the realm of time and space. Isn't that amazing? So that God from all eternity had purpose to foreknow you. That is, to, we studied, remember the doctrine of foreknowledge? That is to come into a covenant relationship with you. In intim- this is as intimate as it gets in the Bible, foreknowledge. It means that God makes a conscious choice to enter into an intimate relationship with a person on a salvific level, Salvifically, It's not just saying that God knows about you. God knows that you're going to exist. God knows that you're going to repent. No, 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 no. Biblically, biblically, the doctrine of foreknowledge means that God has made a decision, okay, um, that God has made a choice to know you Intimately. And so I always point out, for example, uh, Jeremiah 1.5. There, the the, the the root word where we get foreknowledge in the Hebrew, yadah, is used of Jeremiah in that strict sense. What does God tell Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, did God tell Jeremiah something special? Yes. So if God would have meant... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew about you. There's nothing special about that. God knows everything that way, right? Mm -hmm. He knew the devil that way. (laughs) Before God created Lucifer, he already knew Lucifer in that sense, right? He knew about him that he would be a future reality. No, 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 no. So what God is telling Jeremiah is that from all eternity, God had purposed to come into an intimate covenant relationship with him. And you see that covenant language used with israel israel is 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 the nation that god chose to know in a certain fashion right and then that language is transferred over to christians that god has also foreknown us right romans chapter 8 verse 29 so uh this language of foreknowledge and conceptual salvation very very important So we've been looking at all the different aspects of actual salvation, from the time that God calls us to the time that God regenerates us to the point of our conversion where we repent and we have faith, the result being that God justifies us. And then having been justified, which means we're in a right relationship with God, God can now legally adopt us into his family. Having adopted us into his family, we begin... uh, or, or what happens is that there is a definitive sanctification. So there, in other words, there's a once-for-all break with sin. Once-for-all break with the world, right? Um, how many of y'all had one of these, like, overnight conversions? Raise your hand. Come on. Don't be shy. Testify. There you go, <laughs> right? And, and, and how about those that didn't have kind of an overnight, dramatic, Paul, you know, uh, Tarsus on the, on the way to Damascus, right? Okay, so for those of us that had kind of an overnight dramatic conversion, we might understand a little bit better this aspect called definitive sanctification. I can testify to that myself, that when I got saved, I remember the next day I woke up and I looked around my room and the thought that came to my mind was, I can't take one step in this room without sinning, (laughs) you know? I got simple stuff here and I got simple stuff over here and simple stuff over here. I ended up getting a big old trash bag about this big and I dumped all that stuff in there and it went into a dumpster, some undisclosed dumpster somewhere. (laughs) That was a definitive once for all break with sin. I was done with it, right? But to show you that I was not totally sanctified yet, if you would have interviewed me the day after my conversion and asked me important theological questions, I would have probably been a heretic. <laughs> right? I probably would have articulated heresy. If you really pressed me on the doctrine of the Trinity, how can it be that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these three are one, but yet they are three distinct co-eternal, co-substantial persons? Well, I wouldn't have been able to answer that then, right? So that means I needed to be progressively sanctified right and that's what pastor Chris has been teaching us and at the end of our progression if you would uh, theologians have placed the doctrine of perseverance there perseverance has to do with the outcome of our progressive sanctification where we have been persevering all the day long so to speak our whole lives, right, we've been perse... How, how long have you been a Christian? Raise your hands if you've been a Christian for five years. Raise your hand if you've been a Christian for 10 years. Raise your hand if you've been a Christian for 20 years. Not as many. Quite a few, right? So, so at the end of our journey, at the end of our pilgrimage, what will be left is that we persevere to the end, right? So we looked at some really... Crucial texts, and uh, I want to continue that. So, again, let's look at Philippians chapter one. Any questions, comments, statements about any of that? Feel free to feel free to interrupt me at any time and ask any question you'd like. I think I can get to about one thing you mentioned last week. I like that you said, and I heard Archie Sproul say, um, just like that. You know, uh, we we'll persevere because God is—he's he, taking what is already His. And uh, I heard RC Spauls kind of huh. rename perseverance to preservation. Yeah. I think you even said that last week as well. Yeah. Like preserve preserving is thanks preserving what's already is. Correct. Yeah, preservation uh, is kind of more of the reformed thought behind it, the idea that God is the one preserving our faith, right? Um, which I would say both are true. <laughs> uh, you cannot just label it preservation mm-hmm. because. We are commanded to persevere. Uh, we are not commanded to, uh, to preserve anyone, right? We're, our command is to persevere. It is God's job, and it is his grace that preserves us. Uh, preservation could be basically uh, substituted with protection. He protects us until the end, which is exactly what Jesus prays <coughs> in uh, John chapter 17, John chapter 17, he asks the Father to keep his disciples in the faith, in his word, in his name, right? Uh, So that is the idea of preservation. So that's very good. But Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, a real short verse that kind of summarizes for us what perseverance is all about. So here we go. It says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of christ jesus Uh, this is the apostle paul's way of telling um, the philippians that he is confident why why can we be confident that god will uh preserve his people because if he genuinely began a good work in us so here the apostle paul is not thinking about you know uh things that can interrupt this process he's speaking idealistically Right. If a person genuinely began the work of salvation, then you can be confident that God is going to complete that work uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. Right. Which basically means all the way to the end, all the way to the end. You can be certain that God like I can say that about you, right? even though I don't have these uh, spiritual X-ray vision glasses where I can see the status of your soul Right. Uh, based on your profession Uh, Based on your life, based on your holiness, your obedience, um, I can say with confidence that God who began that good work in you, he will be, what does he say? He will be, uh, uh, he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the word there, perfect, uh, teleo, just basically means to bring it to a completion. To reach its intended goal. That's what it means, right? And so this is the way that it's going to happen. God began it. He's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. Um, one more. First, 1 Peter chapter 1. Boy, I was uh, doing some devotional reading today out of 1 Peter. And I was just so ministered to by Peter's letters. Just, just really prolific what God did in, in, in Peter and what he revealed uh, to him but uh, first peter chapter well why don't we begin in verse three just to get some context first peter chapter one verse three says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that uh, verse four begins what is known as a purpose clause in other words this is the purpose why God caused you to be born again, verse 4, to obtain an inheritance. You see that? Which is uh, imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's amazing, these reservations. Um, you know, uh, Trisha's, uh, Trisha has a, a really generous aunt, and she put us up. We took a little vacation last year, as we always do, and... Uh, she put us up at the Ritz-Carlton, Newport Beach. Okay, come on. <laughs> you know, I, you know we were blessed with this. You know that's not normal for me. <laughs> Ritz-Carlton, Newport Beach, baby, right? Uh, breakfast overlooking the ocean. I mean, it was just stunningly beautiful. And it was just so comforting knowing <laughs> I had reservations to the Ritz-Carlton, knowing that when I walked into the, the, the you know, the... Uh, what's it called the fourier there at the hotel when I walked up into the lobby and when I walked up to the desk my reservation was going to be there my name that has no earthly business being in the Ritz Carlton was at the Ritz Carlton (laughs) and I am just going to enjoy saying uh, yes uh, Ramos please Um, thank you (laughs) thank you and the reservation is there and I got my key, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just in awe. That place was so gorgeous. I can't, can't wait to go back. Anyway, that's, you know, if her aunt wants to be generous again. <laughs> but, because I'm not paying, I know how much the hotel rooms were. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, um, but how much greater is our reservation in heaven? Forget the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, that's going to be like, you know, that's going to be like skid row by the time we get to heaven and find out our reservation is reserved for us in heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. When you get there, your name will be there. You will be given access. The gates will be opened, so to speak. You will be carried. You will be ushered into the new Jerusalem, the city of God. You will be uh, standing and probably leaping and running on the streets of gold. And you will realize that your reservation was in heaven waiting for you. I mean it's just remarkable almost too good to be true right almost too good to be true so and then look at this verse 5 we are protected that's what it's uh, saying who are protected by the power of God so that's what uh, Russell was talking about there's that preservation protected by the power of God God's power protects us until we reach our reservation until we get to the to the lobby so to speak right And then watch this, we are protected by the power of God, and then look at this element here, through faith. The reason why that's important, folks, is because we dare not, in the Christian faith, we dare not overlook the instrumentality of faith, right? And verse 7, in particular, he draws this out, so let me just keep reading here, right? Through faith is how we're being protected. It's amazing, right? There's a two-edged, 2 um, or two-sided coin here. Same thing as Paul says in Philippians chapter chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen. He says, "Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure." Right? The imperative, the command, is work out your salvation in fear and trembling. The indicative, meaning the reality, is that because it is God who is in you, too willing to work for his good pleasure. Peter is saying the same exact stuff. God is reserving a ticket for you in heaven, and you are being protected by the power of God through faith. Whose faith? Not God's faith, right? Our faith. So that faith is the means... It is the instrumentality uh, through which our perseverance is accomplished. Look at uh, verse six. He says, "In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, so this is real life Christianity. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Anybody in here distressed by various trials? Right? If you are, if you're, if you can honestly say, I am." distressed by various trials maybe you're dealing with a big trial right now maybe you're dealing with a small trial right now maybe you're dealing with a lot of little weird trials right now whatever it is you can honestly say i'm under distress of trials then my my pastoral counsel to you is you're in good company (laughs) you're in really good company that means you are in the order salutis that means exactly what scripture says about you is true and is coming to pass. never said it was going to be painless Right? Matter of fact, Jesus said he guaranteed us that it was going to be painful. Carrying a cross is not comfortable. right? Bearing a cross is not convenient. <laughs> it's not pleasurable for the moment. right? But how did Jesus carry his cross? It says, for the joy that was set before him He endured the cross, right? That's how we bear our cross in this world. So you have to have your eyes on a superior joy than temporal convenience, temporal ease, temporal pleasure, temporal health, temporal financial security, temporal everything, right? You have to have your eyes on a superior pleasure than anything that you can find here in this world it takes faith to do that well that's exactly what he goes on to say so that the proof of your faith see that being more precious than gold which is perishable even though here it is again tested by fire even though it's tested by fire here we go here's another result may be found to result in what in praise and glory and honor when at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there he's looking at it from more of an eschatology perspective. So it's either our coming to him or his coming to us. It doesn't matter. Whichever happens first. Hopefully the latter, right? We want his coming to come before our going to him, but it doesn't matter. Trust me, once in a hundred years from this day, you will not care. <laughs> you will be absolutely satisfied In what God decreed for your life, whether it was an early death, a late death, a uh, bedside death, whatever it is. And um, I've seen both. Um, I've done funerals for babies. I've done funerals for old people. And, you know, uh, the most important thing is whether or not you are in Christ. And um, so you can see how this works. So let me bring in this syllogism, if you would. It's real simple. Right, just as those have been born who have been born again will persevere to the end. Okay, conversely, the same in the same way, only those who persevere to the end have been genuinely born again. Right, what does Jesus say? Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if it's a big conditional clause now, if. You continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So our faith is the instrument, it is the means through which we will persevere to the end. What about some other classic uh, doctrine? So Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, there Jesus says, it is though it is those who endure to the end that will be saved that will be saved Um, this is important because we may stop and ask ourselves why is it that we're persevering I mean really is it because of my great piety right my great holiness my strength I'm more I'm more I'm more holy than the next person okay well maybe you are more sanctified than somebody else but my, my question is this, is that what keeps you uh, secure in the idea that tomorrow you are not going to apostatize, right? I mean, I think I talked about this last week, but we, we're not meant to live in spiritual paranoia uh, like false religions do. Catholics, Muslims, they should live in spiritual paranoia. They should be paranoid every single day because a Catholic can commit a mortal sin and it's all over, right? A Muslim may not have obeyed the five pillars enough and on the, on the last day, as his own book tells him, on the last day, the scales will not tip in his direction. But the Bible presents eternal security as something altogether different, that we can have assurance, that we, ha- we can have confidence, that we will persevere until the end. And my issue in bringing this up is because we know that we are being kept by the power of God. We know that our believing will go on and on and on until the day that we die. And then here's the, here's the paradox. So long as we continue to believe in his word. I mean, how many people right now in the evangelical church are losing this, their grip on this verse? if you continue in my word right i don't know if you know this about our culture but we have a very anti-propositional culture we have a very anti-doctrinal anti-creedal culture our culture is postmodern our culture is relativistic our culture is existential and it is humanist which means that they don't really esteem doctrinal uh convictions like they ought to. Uh, so, doctrinal positions and doctrinal truth and prepos- propositional truth, those things are not that important. What's important is just that you believe. Is that what Jesus said? As long as you believe, you're okay. That's not what he said in this verse. He said, Believing is one thing, but abiding in my word is just as essential as believing. There's nobody who is believing and trusting in Christ who fails to continue in God's word. I mean, just on the way to church today, my wife was, uh, hum- she was like humming a, um, a tune. And it's a good tune. It was by uh, Jars of Clay. Okay, I'm just gonna throw the guys <laughs> under the bus, sorry, okay. And I thought, gee, it's everywhere. I thought, it's everywhere. Because Dan Hasseltine from Jars of Clay recently went on record, I think it was late last year sometime, saying that he doesn't know what he believes about homosexuality anymore. And gay marriage, he's very open to embracing it, apparently. And on one tweeter, what what do they call that? Tweet? Tweet, okay, whatever. I I don't do that stuff. Show my extensive knowledge of social media right there. On a tweet that he did, he stirred up an entire controversy because he said, you know what? I really don't see any real sound arguments for against gay marriage in the Bible. <laughs> Did people's brains are just falling out of their ears? I mean, what, what, how? That's what happens when you have too open of a mind. Yeah, too, yeah, you're too open-minded. Your brains <laughs> fall out. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that this is the spirit of the age today. This is the spirit of the age. It's everywhere you know and if you listen to red grace media at all you know i'm constantly drumming on this because the apostasy is everywhere james white is constantly talking about this on the dl this tsunami of apostasy that's coming on this particular issue um it is a seminal issue in our times and it is going to be a real test of whether or not you live up to this verse will you continue in his word regardless of how insane our culture goes right I mean, I just did an article on uh, people, already futurists and theorists of the, of the future culture, already stipulating whether or not uh, uh, robot <laughs> marriage is next. I am not <laughs> kidding you. Sophisticated AI <clears throat> robots that are becoming more and more human-like every single day. Um, people are already wanting and trying to make a case for what if I want to marry an inanimate object like a robot? It is my right. I don't derive pleasure from human beings. A robot satisfies me much more than a human because it doesn't talk back to me. <laughs> Unless I program it to, right? But this is how crazy and lunatic this is. You know that where is it going to end? You know, so we can go on and on on this, but it's just a big test. I mean, I think we all feel it, right? It's kind of the elephant in the room. We all we all know it's there. We feel it. We sense it. The tension is there. The apostasy is growing. The compromise is everywhere. The faithful are few. And so we're starting to really feel the tension of that. Now, let me make a, 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 an important um, suggestion here. The doctrine of perseverance is a means to protect believers. So in other words... And really, the way I should have phrased that was that the warning to persevere is the means. Now, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, a book that you should be very, very familiar with by now. Hebrews chapter 3. Because God uses the means to accomplish the end. It's like somebody says, if God has already chosen uh, his elect and who will be saved, predestination, election, foreknowledge. Then why preach the gospel? Right? Or the other thing that can be said is why pray? If God has decreed things to happen, why even pray? Well, <clears throat> we know that God ordains the means as well as the end, right? It was God's decreed will, I can safely say this. It was God's decreed will that every person in this room before the foundation of the world was decreed to make it to church today. But it was also God's decreed will that your car worked today, right? And that you got in the car and that you put the key in the ignition, right? And that you put your foot on the pedal. That was also the means that God decreed to get to this end. And so in the same way, these warnings of apostasy Are like God's means that will preserve our soul the fear that it induces the warning the the holiness the reverence right the wisdom look at verse 12 take care brethren that there not be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the Living God Uh, you know early on I said you know as a reformed church one of the reasons why I picked Hebrews to preach is because of these warning passages as as calvinist people we need these warning passages to keep us from slipping into hyper calvinism now some of you may not even know what those terms mean but for our members you should know what those terms mean and what this is what what this is presenting us is a sort of like a um a safeguard so that we don't become fatalistic in our Calvinism. Fatal, fatalism is not Calvinism, folks. Fatalism is a, you know, que sera, sera kind of attitude in life, right? Whatever is going to be, that's the way it's going to be. Who cares how I live my life? Who cares how I study? Who cares how I pray? Who cares how I pursue God and my holiness and my worship? You know, what is is what is, that's not biblical Calvinism. That is not bi- the biblical tension on the sovereignty of God. Any questions about that? Any questions? So, Chris, I saw that hand, so I was hoping you were making an attempt. Okay. No, I'm not, I'm not asking. It it's just important, right? Because we can very easily, if we give ourselves to our own wisdom, we can very easily become fatalistic in our mindset. You know what I mean? Why preach the gospel? I mean, like, that's going to save He's going to save. I'll stay home. <clears throat> But do you know that the great missionaries of the missionary movement that really began with people like uh, uh, Taylor and Carey and, and others that went abroad, John Patton, all these other great missionaries that people never heard of, Adoniram Judson you all know, these people, these were all Calvinist men who were burning for, with the sovereignty of God in their heart. And none of them had this view that well, God is sovereign, so I'll just let the heathen over in Papua New Guinea just figure it out on their own. No way. No way. They understood like God told Elijah, right? I have 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Like Paul, like God told Paul, I have many people in that city. Right? So he sent Paul there for what? To awaken them. How? With the gospel. This is a very important point here. Failure to persevere is not loss of salvation. Look at this verse. 1 John 2.19, a verse you should all know and have readily available when anybody tries to tell you that you can lose your salvation if you walk away from Christ then you've lost your salvation. Well, that's not the way that John saw it. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown, or the word there is manifested, that they all are not of us. That's talking about brethren who apostatize from the church. So the church has a duty um, uh, to hold its members accountable, right? And I'm talking about apostatizing, not going from one church to another biblical church, but I'm talking about leaving the church altogether. That we have a a, a duty to recognize among ourselves that that what that amounts to, if someone leaves the church, I don't want anything to do with the church anymore. Like Bart Ehrman. Let's go to somebody who's real popular and whose apostasy is on display for everyone to see, Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman was a one of the leading, you know, foremost scholars in the field of textual criticism, analyzing the manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. And if you do any textual criticism, uh, as I have done, you would read the fourth edition of Bart Ehrman and Bruce Metzger's book on the transmission, corruption, and restoration of the New Testament manuscripts. You've got to read that. Bart Ehrman has come out and said, Now I am a happy agnostic. And all that stuff about the Bible and the reliability of the Bible, I don't believe any of it anymore. And I actually got to talk to Bart Ehrman in person. I asked him, hey, Bart, I said, this is after his debate with Daniel Wallace. I said, now that you've abandoned Christianity, um, on what basis do you justify honesty in scholarship? Why be honest, tell the truth Mm -hmm. in scholarship if you abandon Christianity? What worldview... Will you now adopt right for morals meaning and beauty what worldview can now explain and adequately account for the scholarship that you make your money off of <laughs> right so oh, everybody knows that every well everybody just knows right and wrong i mean you don't need the bible for that so anyway security had to come and get me off of them but anyway no, they did. It wasn't because it wasn't because I got violent. It was because he was so sensitive. I mean, geez, right? I mean, he's calling out the entire Christian world, but one little you know peon of a pastor comes up to him and asks him a hard question, and he's got to call security. Anyway, um, that happened. That really happened. I don't know if I should be proud of that or what. But all right, let's ask some practical questions now. Okay. Uh, As far as perseverance and assurance, because I want us to walk out of here thinking, okay, obviously my duty as a believer is to persevere to the end. Uh, There's that hymn that talks about the war, the Christian life as a war. For some, it has been quick and easy, but for me, the war has been sore and long. Chances are, for you, the war, the Christian life, is going to be hard and long. This exile, this pilgrimage, right? Especially the more oppressive that our culture gets. Did you guys hear the thing about the baker this past week? The Christian baker. This is how oppressive it's getting. Okay, in Colorado, uh, he lost his case. The court judged, uh, ruled that <clears throat> that this gentleman has to make cakes for homosexual weddings. It doesn't stop there he has to retrain his entire staff towards a positive lgbtq worldview he has to affirm through the training of his people lgbtq qualities and values and he has to report quarterly for the next two years quarterly reports that he's that he and his business is lgbtq affirming he has to have some evidence that he's affirming LGBTQ rights. Huh? I mean, this is like the Gestapo. I mean, this is totalitarianism all the way, baby. And so, you know, I don't know if you own a Christian business or not, but if you try to do the right thing before God, chances are, you're going to feel the oppression of perseverance or the oppression of the culture, and it's going to make persevering, it's going to make perseverance what? Biblical Yes. Is nothing else just biblical right mm-hmm. the persecuted church is going to look at us and be like yeah that's how we all live <laughs> right america is a very very rare experiment in the in the history of the christian church folks let's get that understood right when john calvin shortly after the reformation when john calvin i think it was christ college i think or Christ's school, or oh, the school of Christ, but call it by Calvin. He would train young French pastors, discipling them, to prepare them for the ministry, and they would go out knowing that I think nine out of ten of them would die by beheading. I mean, persecution is rare for us, but if you look at the grand scale of church history, it's very common. We are extraordinarily fortunate in the west extraordinarily fortunate um, and if my theology is correct it will just get more intense and more and just get worse before it gets better um, so uh, you know it's important for us to be able to locate some grounding principles that remind us okay how am i persevering well here's a question that i'm going to ask you do i have a present trust in christ for salvation And the reason why that's important is because if you and I spend too much time looking at our past, looking at our record, looking at our performance, I've met Christians in the Christian life that are so, their their consciences are so sensitive. Um, Their view of themselves and self-loathing goes beyond Christian abasement, healthy Christian abasement, to the point of virtually just inducing depression and zapping joy Uh, because you just see your sin and you see your failure and you see your track record and you're just like you know i i just i can't possibly i cannot possibly be a christian just look at me right and so the, the the more important thing to ask is do you have present trust in jesus christ so for those of you in the class that didn't say you had this overnight conversion right Um, but you had maybe more, your, your, your faith came over time, right? You never know how you're going to get saved. I mean, there's no one account. The best church membership meeting I ever did. Who was it? Oh boy. Who was it? It was a, it was a, it was a lady and she said she was converted as a little girl, probably five or six years old, uh, holding to a tree, doing kind of circles around the tree, just kind of doodling around and thinking and and she was thinking about jesus and the cross and and she stopped and she's she saved that's it it just everything made sense right there boom has never stopped being a christian sense I mean, amazing right <laughs> regeneration is a mystery that's what the bible says it's like the wind jesus says john chapter three it's like the wind and sometimes you look out in the wind and you can barely see a leaf move it's so still but it's there it's so still Sometimes it's blowing as hard as a hurricane or tornado for Texas, right? But the wind can do whatever it wants, however it wants. You can have a Damascus road experience or you could be a self-righteous little Christian boy or girl that grew up in church her whole life and you knew in your heart of hearts that you don't believe any of this. You're just here for mommy and daddy. And then one day all of a sudden, boom, right? You come to realize you really do believe this. You really do love Jesus. You really do love Christ. And over the course of a month, God's been working on your heart and something's been happening. And next thing you know, you're walking with God. Next thing you know, you're zealous about God and you have love for God. Right? Remarkable how it can happen. So the big question is, what about your present condition? Today, do you have have ongoing faith in Christ? Number two, is there evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? In other words, when you look at the Bible about what happens after regeneration, after being born again, does your life reflect what happens after a person gets born again? The obedience, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have any of those signs? Are you growing in grace at all? Which leads to the next one. Do you see a long-term pattern of growth in your Christian life? Or is is your Christian sanctification, your growth as a Christian, on the very, very back burner of your priorities in life? Everything else is in front of it, right? Your family, your job, your hobbies, right? Your marriage, uh, your finances, your material possessions, your house, right? All these things. Everything is miles ahead and Christian growth is miles behind. It's just not a priority. That's concerning. That's concerning. So any questions as we close? Hmm? i supposed to be able to draw out questions. I don't know. <laughs> when you kind of hit a brick wall, you're like, oh, okay. How am I, I going to draw somebody out? You see the importance, though, of maintaining uh, Christian growth in your life. I mean, I try to emphasize this over and over and over, that we have to cultivate growth. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen without our effort right christianity is not cruise control you don't pop it in cruise control and just drift and hope that things work out oh no 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 matter of fact the bible calls it a race and those who run to win get the prize right yes ma'am oh that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say um that our growth is like an act of like obedience too right it's Mm -hmm. a obedience to like Getting in the Word and your prayer and your meditation. But is it just our obedience, or is God, like, producing the growth? Oh, I would say, of course, God is producing the growth. But you're right. I mean, there you are. That's a kind of double-edged sword, right? I mean, yeah. you have to obey 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, right, that says, uh, grow, no, no, that's verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So you have to obey that commandment. Okay. Right? But you know that God, in the life of a genuine believer, that that is the means that God is going to use to grow that person. You know, so, good point. Yes, sir. You were talking, you were giving examples about uh, conversion just a second ago. Yes, sir. And uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I was thinking, I was like, I'm not either one of those types. I'm the type where I keep falling in and out. Yeah. In and out. But I know there's a desire there in my heart to like, really get my all and be sold out. Yeah. And uh, I'm just struggling. Yeah. Well, then you're in the good place. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're at church. Yes. Amen. That's where you should be. You know what I mean? Surrounded by people that love you enough to tell you the truth and tell you where to find peace with God, you know, which is through Jesus Christ only. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just listen to what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, all that desire to come after me must pick up their cross and deny themselves. Right? Or, he says, you cannot be my disciple. So being a Christian uh, is going to cost you something. It means that you have to turn away from everything else, right? in terms of where you're giving your allegiance. You have to mm-hmm. give it solely to Jesus Christ. Right? He becomes preeminent in your life over everything else. And just ask yourself, is that true of you today? Is Jesus your priority? You know, And obviously none of us do that perfectly. But there has to be a pattern. There has to be evidence of that. And then just ask yourself, you know, when you look at your sin, have you truly repented of that sin? Or is it something you're just comfortable living with? You know, is there something in your life that Scripture condemns that you live as a lifestyle? Right? Whether it's fornication or drunkenness or lying and stealing and, you know, all of those things, all of the sins that scripture talks about, right? Um, That's, that's the best thing to do is look at the perfect law of God, you know, and ask yourself in light of looking at the mirror of God's law, how do I stack up? And if you find yourself condemned, then ask yourself, has Jesus, uh, forgiven you of your sin, right? Through repenting and putting your faith in him. I mean, those are the things that's the heart work you need to really, really examine. You know, and the good news for you is that Jesus says this, that all who come to me in no ways will I cast out. So if you come to him by faith, in no way will Jesus cast you out, right? Everyone else in this world might cast you out, but not Jesus. Not if you come to him by faith, trusting in him, believing in him. Does that make sense? Well yes, sir. Good. Well, we should, maybe we can talk after two, but... I'm totally out of time. I'm in trouble out of time. That's how out of time I am. (laughs) So let's go to worship. Mm -hmm.